0: Welcome to today's edition of the Baseball America College Podcast. I'm Teddy Cahill. Joining me, as always, is Joe Healy, and we're here on March 15 to discuss weekend four of college baseball. There's a lot to uh, to hit on here. Texas swept South Carolina in Austin. Huge weekend for the Horns. Uh, Vanderbilt went to Oklahoma State and won a series. We're going to get into what that means for those two teams. There were some upsets, there was a kind of a confusing weekend out West after we talked a lot about the Pac-12 contenders separating themselves last week. We're going to check in on some of them and uh, we're going to get into uh, what's happened through the first two weeks of the Big Ten race. Uh, but first, I'm going to let you know that the Baseball America College podcast is presented by Rapsodo. Rapsodo has become the industry standard in player performance data. Coaches use Rapsodo data as a measuring stick for player development and evaluation. The Rapsodo National Player Database is a free service that allows you to see how you stack up against your peers and provides a pathway to get discovered by scouts. You can check out the Rapsodo National Player Database at RapSoto.com slash national database. All right, Joe, we're uh, we're going to get into all of that. Texas, uh, Texas is back. Very excited to talk about you know, what the Horns did, Uh, This weekend. But first, uh, what we're what we're really going to talk about is Western Carolina sweeping St. John's out in Woo, Culloway,
1: North Carolina. Have you ever been uh, you ever been to Culloway?
0: I have not. It's like really far away. I've considered it before, but it's you know, we we live here in the middle of the state and Western Carolina is like a five hour drive. It's kind of insane.
1: Yeah, it's um, I don't know if you know this North Carolina, a big state from east to west. So uh, yeah, you can get pretty you can get pretty far out there. Uh, so you said St. John's. They I didn't even know they played St. John's this weekend.
0: Well, they uh, they did. And Western Carolina is uh, is a team that you might want to pay a little more attention to, Joe.
1: <laughs> they're eleven yeah, and four. Clearly, uh, you caught me flat footed here.
0: <laughs> they're eleven and four, and they scored this weekend forty runs. On what I think is an okay St. John's pitching staff. Like, jury's very much out on that. St. John's was undefeated coming into the weekend, but hadn't really played much of anyone to this point. And uh, Western Carolina really swung the bats real well. And they have won now six straight games against Charlotte, Kennesaw, and St. John's. And, you know, Western Carolina, I did the SOCOM preview. Western Carolina is not a team that I picked particularly high uh but that might have been uh that might have been an oversight i'm uh i'm impressed by what the catamounts have going here and this weekend they've got mercer so that'll uh that'll be an interesting test i don't know what to think of mercer at this point they're five and nine not used to seeing the bears like that but uh as socom play starts keep an eye out for uh for western carolina I, I know we're enamored of sanford and unc greensboro's off to a nice start and Wofford's playing pretty well. And, and so does East Tennessee state, but keep an eye on West Carolina.
1: Is that a direct flight? Do you think from LaGuardia to Western Carolina?
0: I have no idea how you would even begin to,
1: yeah, I don't know either to do that. Cause like, if
0: you fly into Charlotte, like you're still talking about a multi-hour drive.
1: <laughs> yeah. That one's tough. I think that people forget that when it comes to, you know, the, the traveling college baseball that, you know, I think people talk about this with Greenville, right. East Carolina is not, the easiest place to get to. And if you look at Greenville on a map, it doesn't look all that remote and it's not that re- It's really not that remote, but it just is kind of out there in no man's land in terms of airport travel. And it's been in a league for a long time now that even going back to the Conference USA days, where there's just not a lot convenient to it. So there's not a lot of drive trips to Greenville. So you're taking planes and you're usually you're you're flying into Raleigh Durham and driving and that's, uh, you and I have both made that drive, and it's not an inconsequential amount of time spent on a bus to get out there. So it is a, a factor in college baseball that, uh, you know, it's not like basketball where you play a game. You know, you can play a game Saturday afternoon, and then you've got the rest of the day to get to the airport and be back Saturday night. Or if it's a night game, stay overnight and leave Sunday morning. It's, it's not quite that simple in baseball when you've, you're always playing a game on your getaway day. Very rarely in college baseball are you staying an extra night after you play to fly out the next day.
0: Yes, absolutely. And charter flights, not not no much thing. of a thing no. around the country. No. Um all right, Joe. It uh we got a new top 25 over at baseballamerica.com. You can, can check that out. Arkansas remains number one. In fact, the top six remained the same. It's the first time this year we've had an unchanged top five, much less top six from week to week. So a little bit of stability. we we'd been missing that, but that doesn't mean that there weren't some big results. And one of the, the biggest one I'll say was Texas sweeping South Carolina. Uh, Texas came in rank number 20. We talked about this on the preview pod, like still kind of trying to prove something a little bit after that real rough opening weekend at the state farm showdown in Arlington going zero and three, They've uh, I, I think it's fair to say now, Joe, though, that Texas is back following this sweep and that they have proved that that weekend in Arlington was more aberrational than who they are as a team.
1: Yeah. Shout out to Sam Ellinger. Texas is back. Um, he was right. Was just about the wrong sport. Yeah, I think that's I think it's safe to say. I think when you look at everything that went into that opening weekend, I think it's. it's we talked about the context of the time, right? It's not like we ignored it. We talked about not only is it opening weekend in the weirdest of years. So there was always, there were always going to be weird results opening weekend in 2021 because of how weird the year was. Then on top of it, you add what they were dealing with in Austin at that time. And I think that's kind of what you get. Um, You know, they, they just didn't look like the team we thought they would be. And I think there were, there were explanations for that. Um, you know, there's, as, as a wise man once said, there, there are excuses and there are explanations. And I think they were more explanations than they were excuses that opening weekend for Texas. But this is clearly just seems like a different team. I didn't get to see much of the series because it was on Longhorn network and we won't, you know, go on the old Longhorn network, PAC 12 network, uh, type tangents on availability of games. But I did listen to, to a decent amount of it on, on a drive on Saturday to and from Buoy's Creek. But, um. Yeah, they clearly. I mean, they, they, they did exactly what we kind of figured they would need to do to have success in the series. And that was, they just really smothered the South Carolina offense in the first two days of the series with, um, you know, Ty Madden and then Tristan Stevens on the second day. And that was huge on the second day because it's Ty Madden. Okay. Like he's one of the best arms in the country. Sure. But to do that on a second day um, was just outstanding for their pitching staff, a really good sign of, of things to come there. And, you know, Wes Clark, still had a couple hits in the first game. Like it wasn't like they were the guys South Carolina needed, had some hits, but they were able to not let anyone else really beat them. And they were able to keep the ball in the ballpark, which is obviously a huge deal against South Carolina.
0: Yeah. They, uh, they, they, they mean South Carolina got some runs on that third day. They scored five, but as, um, as two of them came in the ninth inning with uh, the game kind of decided already, the, the South Carolina offense was really, stifled for like 26 innings pretty pretty significantly west clark did get a home run on sunday but i thought texas mostly had a really good plan of attack against him they uh they really worked to not let him get his hands extended he did on the home run but otherwise it was a lot of you know busting him inside and trying to jam him and yeah, you're right, Joe, he, he got his hits, but, you know, just the one home run on the weekend. And for a guy that had eight coming in, you know, that's uh, that's not insignificant. And then, you know, you're, that's a great point about Stevens and, and Wenzel on Saturday doing what they did. That, that, was, that was really big, I think, for, for a Texas team that is kind of looking for somebody behind Madden coming into the year. The expectation was that was going to be Pete Hansen who has been, you know, pained up a little bit here and, and just isn't who they were hoping that, that he would be to this point. So they need someone to fill that role. And if that's going to be Stevens going forward, that's that's really big news for them. He's an experienced guy. You know, this is his fourth or fifth year of college baseball and uh, it just kind of brings a steadying hand and you don't need your number two to be as powerful as Ty Madden is on Friday nights, you, know, you just need them to to go out and do a job and in uh, effectively piggybacking Stevens and, uh, and Wenzo. that that's exactly what they got there on Saturday. You know, I, I, the, the Texas offense, it's not going to be high powered this year. That, that's just not the way it's, it's lined up, but Joe, you know, what they are doing is they're, they've got some nice speed going now that, Mike Antico and Eric Kennedy have got things going a little bit more. They're getting on base. They're able to run. Those two guys have combined for 15 stolen bases. And then you throw in the fact that Hodo can run the top of the lineup too. And all of a sudden this becomes a, you know, they've got some some speed that sets up their power guys. You know, Zubia, Melendez, Williams all can run the ball out of the ballpark or hit some doubles. You know, it's a big park in Austin. Getting getting balls in the gap is just as important, really. And, you know, they have guys that can do that. And I think overall, it it ends up being a a relatively balanced lineup. They're figuring some things out in the bullpen. And, uh, yeah, I mean, I I just think things are coming together for Texas kind of in the way that was expected to happen.
1: Yeah, I would agree. I think what we saw this weekend was kind of the platonic ideal of what Texas wanted this team to look like. And sweeping South Carolina as good as South Carolina is, I don't know that anybody – would have really been so bold as to predict that, but certainly if they were going to do it, this is kind of the way that you thought they were going to do it. I I'm with you. The offense kind of is what it is. And like, that was good enough this weekend. And if they pitch this well, and if the offense is as efficient as it was, they, they can certainly, that is pretty, pretty replicable um, offensively. So I thought that was, um, um, I was encouraged by that this weekend, the fact that they they, they played pretty efficiently on offense. They, they were kind of making things happen. They were forcing some runs across um, because that you're right. They're not going to be able to, to wait back for the, the three-run homer. The bullpen is a good point, too. Like, I, I really kind of like the way that bullpen is coming together. Palmer Winslow has been um, really a revelation for them, the, the transfer from UTSA, um, you know, sidewinding low slot guy whose stuff is maybe a little firmer than you usually get from a low slot guy, which can, can be troublesome for hitters. And and Tanner Witt, the freshman has carved out a role in the bullpen uh, for himself and has, been really good. And in Cole Quintanilla and some shorter outings, I mean, Cole Quintanilla is a guy who came into Texas with a lot of fanfare. And and I don't, um, I don't want to say disappointing because that's, that's not a fair assessment, but I, I think he was looked at early on as a guy who maybe was a cornerstone of a starting rotation, while in his time at Texas. And he hasn't necessarily been that, uh, but he's been really good so far in the bullpen this year. And so he's finding his way to, to be an important piece uh, of the staff, even if it's not exactly in the, the role that maybe we would have thought for him if you go back three years ago. So I thought this was a really good weekend for Texas kind of taking shape with, with the type of team that we thought they would be from the beginning.
0: I think the thing that I was impressed by hearing, you know, uh, both DJ Petrinsky, Texas's, sixth year fifth year senior catcher very experienced catcher uh and and david pierce talk uh post game was that you know they didn't they're not running from what happened on opening weekend they're they're fully aware that that was that was a thing that happened and they're trying to use it you know they're not just trying to say like look whatever or, or the past is the past we're moved on you know they uh they understand that like that was a big disappointing weekend that they have a hole to dig out of following that. And, uh, they went about, you know, trying to figure out how to make sure that that didn't happen again. And I I think that that's, that's worked for them, that they, they have answered those questions. And, you know, now as they sit here, they're 11 and five and going into big 12 play, um, you know, they're in a, they're in a really good spot and, you know, they, uh, you know, after the game that if that tournament was this coming weekend, it would go a lot different for Texas. And undoubtedly that's true. They are, they're just playing so much better. And I, you know, whatever, whatever happened there, whether it's down to the strange week leading up to it, whether it is just, um, you know, Texas wasn't, you know, it was suggested by, by peers that, you know, they, maybe thought they were a little better than they were going into that, you know, maybe they needed to, you know, to, to take that hit, to, you know, lock in on, on stuff, you know, whatever, whatever it was, uh, it's clearly benefited them over the long run. I would say Uh, this weekend was, was a really big statement and, and goes a long way to just
1: kind of wiping,
0: wiping the slate from opening day.
1: Quickly for South Carolina, before we move on, um, a tough stretch of schedule here this coming weekend. They go to Vanderbilt weekend after that, they go to Florida. So that's, I mean, that's a stretch of games right there where either a South Carolina is going to bounce back to a point where we're like, okay, you know, this is, this is the team we thought they were, they just had a tough, tough weekend in Austin, or it could go the other direction where we still really like South Carolina's talent. Cause I don't think that's really necessarily going to change, but they're going to come out of those two weekends really needing to kind of make some hay in SEC play. And they do have a little softer stretch of games after that, but these next two weekends are going to be pretty tough.
0: Yeah, absolutely. It, uh, they need to bounce back in a hurry. I, I guess if you're the Game Cox, you're taking solace in the fact that you pitched well um, and that you'll trust that the offense will bounce back, but yeah, it's, it's not getting easier uh, and the games now are, are going to count towards those SEC standings. So they're going to, they're going to need to bounce back from this. This quickly. Uh, We're going to talk about one of those teams that's coming up on the Gamecock schedule here in a second, as we'll get to Vanderbilt's series win at Oklahoma State. But first, check this out. All right, Joe. The other big SEC Big 12 matchup this weekend was Vanderbilt going to Oklahoma State. That series got delayed a day due to some poor weather. Uh, in Oklahoma, so they turned out turned out to be a doubleheader on Saturday, and when you don't play on day one of a series against Vanderbilt right now, that means it's a doubleheader with Kuma Rocker and Jack Leiter coming at you, and that did not go so well for the Pokes. Uh, Rocker was outstanding uh, in in the game one start. He goes eight innings, strikes out nine, um, eight scoreless, I should say, strikes out nine. And, you know, Oklahoma State had just no answer for him at all. Jack Leiter wasn't quite as good, ran into a little bit more trouble, a little bit more inefficient, only went five, uh, five scoreless, seven Ks. Uh, still, Vanderbilt ran away with with game two. And it felt like at that point that this was clearing the, the way for a massive Vanderbilt weekend, a you know, huge series win. Joe and I have you know, spoken since and independently we were thinking like, all right, how are we going to justify moving Vanderbilt ahead of Mississippi State in a week that the Bulldogs like basically haven't given up any runs or like going to go five and zero? How are we going to say like, yeah, we're, we're now moving Vanderbilt up to number two in the country. Uh, but then Oklahoma State got off the mat and, and they come out and score 10 runs in the finale and get a really nice win. And, you know, make me look a little bit better for saying that I thought the year they could make this series somewhat competitive. Uh, you know, so thanks, thanks to the pokes for, for getting off the mat on Sunday, and that really is a big deal for Oklahoma State, I think, to to get a win here, but ultimately just a, a nice series win for Vanderbilt uh, in their first road test of the season. So
1: I'm gonna throw a little a few stats at you here just kind of in the big picture. So between Kamar Rocker and Jack Leiter, and (laughs) listeners, please bear with me here. I'm doing math on the fly, and look, I I have a political science degree. Um, I'm the son of an English teacher. Like, math is not really my strong suit. I didn't take much math in high school, like, beyond what was required. So, um, you know, I'm I'm working with the – it's not a great tool set for me. It's not a tool in the toolbox, but I'm going to make an attempt to do some math on the fly here. So between Kamar Rocker and Jack Leiter this season, 43 innings pitched. So remember that number, 43 innings pitched. They've given up a total of 15 hits, one earned run, and they've struck out 67. They both have a 108 opponent batting average on the season. Um, That's pretty good. (laughs) One earned run in 43 innings pitched, you know, just 15 hits between the two of them. Jack Leiter has yet to give up an extra base hit. Uh, Kamara Rocker, interestingly, just a statistical quirk, I don't think this means anything. Of his eight hits, five have been doubles. So that's kind of just a strange little stack quirk there, but uh, that duo has been everything we thought they could be. And probably more honestly, with how good they've been so far this season. And I think it was a, it was another reminder this weekend of just the fact that in a college baseball se- schedule that is built to be two out of three, and, you know, it gets a little different when you get to a regional and, and, you know, Omaha is kind of a little different animal, but generally speaking, In college baseball, if you're winning two out of three games, you're in really, really good shape to do everything you want to do to win the national title. And in a two out of three situation, Vanderbilt is going to have a decided advantage with those two at the front of the rotation, as long as they're healthy and throwing the way they have. And I thought this weekend was, was another reminder of that against an experienced Oklahoma State team now, what I will say, and we, we talked about this a little bit on the preview podcast that Oklahoma State was kind of in a tough spot matchup wise, because it's, it's an offense that is kind of scuffling two of their more experienced better bats are injured It's a team that will strike out some it's not always the most efficient offense so there were a lot of reasons why there were some like warning lights about this matchup for Oklahoma State so I think we saw some of that um they, they do they should get credit for the way they bounce back on Sunday that's a nice win to have in their back pocket as they build a resume but so it was a good weekend for Vanderbilt in that regard so rocker and lighter were exactly what We, we, you know, exactly what Vanderbilt would have wanted them to be. And again, I just think it's a a pretty clear reminder to everyone out there that those first two games of any series against Vanderbilt are just going to be almost impossibly tough because of those two guys.
0: Yeah, I, it's too early to start getting concerned about like what is around rocker and lighter in this pitching staff. It's a really good pitching staff, period, end of story. Uh, but the rest of it is not anywhere close to, to those two. and so I think that there might be some opportunities for teams to have game threes like Oklahoma State did or if you can get uh, one of those two guys out of the game early um you know perhaps uh, perhaps you have to get them both out of the game early to expose some of the, the other arms in the Vanderbilt bullpen. And again, like they're going to bring in like Ethan Smith and Patrick Riley and Chris McElvin and Hugh Fisher. And those guys are, are, are very good Uh, to say nothing of like Nick Maldonado and Luke Murphy, who are a little bit less experienced, I I guess, but still again, very, very good. But, you know, at, at some point, I think they're going to have to find another starter um, whether that's Schultz figuring things out or going to Hill blocky or Christian little figuring something out. I don't know Um, too early to be concerned about it. But I I do think that when we start talking about best pitching staffs in the country, yes, Vanderbilt is on the list and uh, it has everything to do with the two starters. uh, But I, I do think that you're going to find deeper staffs elsewhere. And as long as those two guys are doing what they're doing and the offense is doing what it's doing, which, Oh, by the way, right now is pretty darn impressive. The what, what I'm almost more impressed by what Vanderbilt did to the really good Oklahoma state pitching staff than what rocker and lighter did to, as Joe detailed, a struggling scuffling Cowboys offense. Uh, Dominic Keegan continues to rake. Carter young, Jason Gonzalez, Areen Bradfield, Parker Nolan, Isaiah Thomas, those guys all had good weekends and, uh, you know, it, it winds up being a, a pretty deep lineup. And, uh, you know, that the 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 starters are going to get the focus. It's understandable. But I, I, I'm I impressed by what Vanderbilt's offense is doing, because that was a bigger question I had coming into the season.
1: For sure. And, you know, I don't know if there's a, I mean, certainly not from a, a projected prospect standpoint. There's not a J.J. Boudet in this lineup. But it does remind me a little bit of the 2019 lineup in terms of just the relentlessness of it from top to bottom. And, you know, having six or seven guys who are all swinging it really, really well. And then the eighth and the ninth guys, maybe they kind of cycle through a couple guys and based on matchups and those guys can beat you too in the right spots. And it's just, you don't get any sort of break with the lineups. It reminds me of, of that team in at least that regard and their power production to this point against, you know, outside of Oklahoma state, relatively soft competition. I get it but their power production is is right in line with the team that uh, hit a bunch of home runs in 2019, led the nation in home runs in 2019, as a matter of fact. So I'm with you pretty impressive stuff offensively for, for Vanderbilt, no doubt. Uh, it's certainly not a team that, uh, you know, we talked about South Carolina going in there next weekend and um, they're going to provide a big challenge for the Gamecocks on, on all sides for sure. All
0: right, Joe, the big 12, uh, we talked about Texas. We talked about Oklahoma state. The big 12 is going to open conference play next weekend it's a soft opening for them unlike every other major conference uh, basically because of the size of the league uh, and the fact that some of these teams need to take uh, idle weeks later in the season for finals but anyway as a result of that we get a couple big 12 series next week this week whatever this weekend Uh, it's texas and baylor and then the big one is oklahoma state going to texas tech oklahoma state needs to bounce back from this like if you told me, if you told them coming in, well, if you told me, I doubt they'd be happy if they only won one game, but if you told me coming into the weekend that they won one game against Vanderbilt, I'd be like, okay, yeah, that sounds about right. Now the weekend, the way it played out, it feels maybe worse than that, but you know, they, they kind of did what was expected here. It looks, it doesn't look great. Uh, They have some things to clean up clearly, but Hey, Just by by winning that game on Sunday, I I think they can feel a lot better about where they're at going into this Texas Tech series. And Texas Tech, they are playing the final game of their UConn series as we record this. Uh, They're looking to win their 14th in a row. Talk about how Texas has turned around since that opening weekend 0-3 in Arlington. Well, Tech took an 0-3 that weekend as well. They have not lost since then. Uh, Again, at least as of this recording, Uh, they're looking real good. They're looking like the big 12 favorites. And, you know, this weekend feels really big. We'll, we'll get into it more on Thursday, but it feels really big for Oklahoma state to go prove that they can play with Texas and Texas tech and make this more of a race. And then the other contender, the other leading contender that we expected was TCU, TCU this weekend Lost a series at home to Gonzaga. That's their second losing weekend because they also went they went one and two in Arlington in that tournament, and now they they add on to that this uh, this not good series loss. I mean, Gonzaga is a tough team. They do this to someone every single year, but you know they're a five hundred team right now going into uh, West Coast Conference play, and you know this is it, it doesn't doesn't give me any. Amount of confidence in the frogs that they went out and lost a series
1: at home to the Zags. Yeah, Gonzaga is a weird team, man. Like they've they've blown teams out three or four times. They've gotten blown out a couple times. Like they they just they are kind of a strange little team. And like every every time I turn on a Gonzaga game, I look up and they've got some guy in there throwing from a low slot, just like flinging junk up there at the hitter. Like it just it's a really really unique team. Seems like a fun team. Like what I, I watched quite a bit of that game Sunday against TCU it's kind of a fun team so I'll be interested to see what they do but yeah TCU just feels I don't know how else to put it but TCU has just from the jump this year has just felt flat like I you know Russell Smith let me let me set some positives aside here Russell Smith has been awesome in the rotation and you know he's he's really kind of um, you know set the tone from this from a starting standpoint um, but it feels like the TCU offense isn't as good as it could be. It feels like the pitching staff isn't as good as it, as it could be. And I guess you could take some positives of that. And if you you want to buy into the idea that maybe as the season goes on, they'll, they'll get a little bit better, but I'm with you and that, you know, they, they just aren't inspiring a ton of, a ton of confidence as it stands right now. And, you know, the, the big 12, you know, between them and Oklahoma, we were fairly high on Oklahoma. And I think it's clear Oklahoma has got a lot of rebuilding to do on the pitching staff. We saw it I think, most glaringly in the the tournament where they, you know, uh, you know, Arizona put 20 runs on them or whatever it is. So the Big 12 is an interesting position. I, I think the cream has risen to the top with, with Texas and Texas Tech clearly, and I guess maybe we'll get a better feel for Oklahoma State as, as they go into conference play here starting this weekend. But the rest of it, you know, if you take Oklahoma out of that group, I mean, and then you drop TCU down, the rest of it does feel like the, the conference has compressed a little bit. Um, You know, when you start to talk about one of the things I struggled with in the in the preseason was I, I really I really was pretty confident that Kansas was was going to bring up the rear in the Big 12. and Maybe that will or won't be the case. And then West Virginia, I thought was just a little young to really be ready to compete. But then you start talking to the bottom league teams like Baylor, who have never underachieved under Coach Rod. They either meet expectations or exceed them. So I really did not feel great predicting them seventh or whatever it was, but, you know, we've talked about Kansas state and they've been up and down, but the pitching talent is there. And, um, you know, so TCU and Oklahoma find themselves in kind of this neighborhood that I don't know that they really expected to be at this point of the season in terms of the big 12 pecking order. And, but I think that group is a little more condensed maybe than I was giving it credit for. Whereas maybe Texas tech and Texas are in a position to maybe, uh, route the score a little bit at the top of the standings. We'll we'll have to see. Um, I think the team, Oklahoma State is kind of the team I think that hinges. I would believe you if you told me it's a team closer to hosting. I would also believe you if you told me that it's uh, you know, a two seed uh, that's never really, never really not in the field of 64, but also never really challenges to host. Um I, I think those are kind of that's the spectrum for me on Oklahoma State. That's the team that kind of I think is the the hinge on the upper level of the big 12 or the middle tier of the big 12, a middle tier that back to my point, I think feels pretty compressed right now versus what I thought it would be.
0: I'll be very interested to see whether this winds up being a one, two or three horse race. I don't think that this becomes a four, four horse race. Um, And I think there's a scenario where tech runs away with it. uh, Kind of the way we expected. I think Texas is going to compete. I think they have what they need to compete. I think that Texas has what they need to go to Omaha. Um, but I, I think tech ultimately does get the win. I, I just don't know what to make of Oklahoma state right now. I, this is a really tough two week stretch here. It's really, really, really hard to win in Lubbock. Like that is, that is probably the, the thing that I've been most reminded of since opening weekend with regards to Texas tech. I don't know how much has changed. Again, that was a weird weekend they blew a game against arkansas in the ninth inning we would be looking at a whole lot of things a lot differently if that doesn't happen uh, on opening day for them but you know the the thing that i've really remembered is that oh yeah texas tech doesn't lose in lubbock you can't beat them in lubbock and you know that that's what oklahoma state's gonna have to do this weekend and um you know, if if they're not able to do that, they're going to have to find a way to to dig out of what will all of a sudden feel like a pretty significant skid having having just played two of the better teams in the country. So, uh, you know, we'll we'll see where that goes. We'll we'll spend more time on that on Thursday. But you know, right now the Big Twelve as they enter their soft opening, it's in an interesting spot. And yeah, I, I don't know when we start start talking about strength of the league and everything. I don't think this league is as strong as we thought it was going to be in the preseason.
1: Yeah, I would generally agree. Of course, you know, you and I both understand that a lot can change. So like listeners, listen to us when we say that, like, you know, things can and will change, but I'm with you generally. I, Cause I think so much of, of the strength of the big 12, when I was touting, I mean, I'll just put my own name on it. When I was touting that this is, I think has a real chance to be a standout year for the, the big 12, maybe get six teams in, maybe get three teams four teams hosting what have you a lot of so much of it hinged on okay yes Oklahoma lost a lot on the mound but look at this offense and Skip Johnson knows pitching he'll get that pitching staff right and then also on TCU like this you know this experienced team coming back without a ton of star power but with a lot of really nice players and a lot of complimentary pieces and a team that has been around the block a time or two or five and then even with a team like Kansas State where it was like talent wins out and this team is really talented on the mound. And um, so those were kind of the teams that that hinged on. And so far I would say that group has either disappointed or has simply done kind of met expectations for what we, we thought coming into the season. That group of teams is not necessarily um, it, it blowing us away with what they've done so far. And I think the Big 12 having the type of year that I thought they might be able to have, I think, hinged on one or more of that group of teams really blowing us away pretty early on and impressing us with what they're capable of. And it just hasn't happened.
0: All right. You're talking about the cream rising to the top in the big 12. And I thought the same thing happened in the PAC 12 a week ago. I I wrote about it. We talked about it here. Um, You know, Oregon state looked really good. UCLA looked really good. Arizona looked amazing. uh, Stanford was playing well. State was playing well. Oregon was coming off that sweep of UCSB. Well, uh, one week later, we're back here. Oregon goes on the road, wins uh, a series at Oregon State in non-conference action. Uh, So it's not going to count to the Pac-12 standings, but they won a series against the Beavers for the first time since 2016. And they did it by shutting out Oregon State on back-to-back days, Friday and Saturday, to open the series. That is about as loud of a statement as you can possibly make if you're the Ducks. And then UCLA goes, loses a series to Cal Poly. It's their second series loss of the year. And they've, those are against San Francisco and Cal Poly. I think Cal Poly looks like they might be the big West favorite right now. Uh, But you know, that doesn't maybe mean as much as it would have meant 10 years ago as you know, (laughs) the, the big West has slipped. There are only three teams in the big West right now with, that are over 500, and that includes Hawaii, which has played all of three games against Division I competition. So saying that Polly is the favorite of the Big West feels like it means a lot, and it still does, but it again, I mean, we're not talking about the Big West of 10 years ago. So that happened to UCLA. Arizona looked very Arizona-esque, like in a bad way, uh, splitting against Air Force and Wichita State, just kind of a sloppy weekend they won a couple games. They lost a couple games. It was it was not their best performance coming off of what was their best performance in Frisco. Uh, so all of that is to say,
1: Joe, who is the best team in the Pac-12? I don't know. Like sometimes I think we just have to be willing to say that we don't know. And there are a lot of different answers here, right? Where it's like the most talented team is still probably UCLA. Like I don't think there's... Um, necessarily a ton of argument about that if you're talking just pure talent Um, if you're talking results probably Oregon I mean that four game sweep of Santa Barbara who is the most talented and at at a bare minimum is probably co-favorites with with Cal Poly in the Big West they four game sweep there and then did what they did in Corvallis to Oregon State Um, you know and if somebody else has an argument to that it's it's probably Arizona not you know barring uh, you know outside of what we saw last weekend with the way they've played so far. Um, so there are a lot of different answers depending on how you want to define best, because right now I don't think there is a clear answer here. And I think it's really good news for the Pac-12, and this is kind of what we started talking about on the last episode, was that um, th- I think there's there are a lot of things that are shaping up in a really positive way for the Pac-12, Cause there are some examples of like, like Stanford, for example, which is a team that we just did not know what to expect from going into this season. Cause they weren't very good last year. They were pretty young last year and they're still fairly young in the grand scheme of things this year, but clearly that's a team that's really taken a step forward. Arizona state I'm writing about them in three strikes this week because you know, they got horrible injury news with losing Cooper Benson and Boyd Vander arguably their two best pitchers um, depending on how you want to slice that up for the season. And then like a week later lost Eric Tolman, one of their other best pitchers for at least uh, some period of time. And they keep winning. They've won nine in a row now. So, and they're just kind of cobbling it together and figuring it out. So I, I don't know, like, I'm not even going to sit here and do the thing where I, where I say like, I think it's probably X or Y because I don't, I, I just don't have any good logical reason to give you why one team that I would pick out of the hat of four or five options is guaranteed to be better than any other. I just, I just don't know, and that's part of what makes it fun and what makes it so exciting. Um, there's also a lot of mystery with Pac-12 too. I mean, let's let's be honest. I mean, the games are on late, and sometimes they're on, they're not televised or streamed, and so I think that's that's part of it here too. Is like we just haven't had as much exposure to these teams, and that's on us to do the, the homework. But um, all added up, I just don't really know what to think.
0: Uh. I, th- this weekend, again, we'll talk more about this series on Thursday. Arizona goes to UCLA. And I was, I thought this was the series of the year in the Pac-12. Like up until yesterday, I was still probably feeling that way. But certainly if you talk to me on like Thursday, I was like, yeah, I, the series I want to see the most in the Pac-12 this year is Arizona and UCLA because you have potentially the best offense in the country in Arizona. You have a vintage John Savage pitching staff at UCLA, who is going to win that series? And then what does that mean? Does it set the tone then for the rest of the Pac-12 season? Like if UCLA goes out and wins that series and they've knocked off the team that we think is their biggest challenger already, are they just going to like take the ball and go home in the Pac-12? Well, now, even if UCLA does that, I'm not going to think that because now I have to wonder like, okay, well, what about when Oregon plays UCLA and you know, is Oregon state like maybe, maybe they're better than, than we realized. I mean, maybe they're worse. I don't know. And like Stanford sitting over here with like one or two losses against not a great schedule, but I mean, Hey, they beat San Francisco. That's something UCLA couldn't do. And you know, it's uh it's a league that that feels very open. Right now, we don't have a Pac-12 team ranked higher than 16. Oregon is the highest ranked Pac-12 team in the top 25 right now. And, you know, I don't know. At UCLA is definitely the most talented, but I don't know why it hasn't clicked yet. It's strange to me that it hasn't. They, you know, they were missing JT Schwartz for a while, and you could maybe say like, well, you know, when he gets back, the offense will get better. And you know, they're missing Petway at the start of the season from the front of the rotation. He gets back like, that'll get better. And like, maybe we need to give them more time to settle into those roles, but those guys are back now. And again, they just, they just gave up 25 runs at Cal Poly and Cal Poly can hit like Brooks Lee is the truth, but like, also if you're UCLA and you have that pitching staff, you should not be giving up 25 runs on a weekend. I, i wouldn't think uh so i i don't know what to make of ucla right now i'm very impressed with what oregon's done uh that's uh it, it was a really loud first two games and they're pitching well the lineup is good as we've talked about uh but this is also a relatively young team like how are they going to handle the week to week of of just you know being in the pac 12 that that's a it's a bit of an unknown right now. But I, I will also say though that uh when Mark Wasikowski was at Purdue, year two was was his his great year. I mean, he got Purdue turned around in a hurry. And this is year two at Oregon. So, you know, he's uh maybe he has a penchant for for these quick turnarounds.
1: Yeah, that was kind of one of the questions for me is that does does his year one in Oregon, because it was shortened, does that still count as the year one? Or are we going to see? <laughs> are we going to see the year one in 2021? And um, so far it looks like we have, we have moved on to year two for sure of the, of the Mark Wazkowski area in terms of using Purdue as a, as a previous comparison. But I, I you know, I'm looking forward to truly, I mean, truly, truly looking forward to, to sitting back and watching this play out because I would believe just about anything. And, and I'm, I'm interested to see what it ends up meaning for the PAC 12 in terms of the postseason. Uh, you know, uh, it's too early to look at, look at the RPI stuff, but, the trouble they may have is just because their their non conference schedules were so insular in terms of being west coast based for for obvious reasons that um you that you don't have situate with the exception of arizona obviously they they went and traveled quite a bit but you don't have uh, you know ucla going down to texas to play that that series you don't have quite as much you know diversity with the teams that are coming west to play series and so um, we'll have to see how that ends up playing out, but the, I think the quality is such that this is a, a conference that I think is going to be in position to put, put a good number of teams in the postseason. just which of those teams out of what we're looking at right now are end up in the postseason is the, is the big question that you or I cannot answer.
0: It, it's pretty crazy. I think the, the only two teams that in the, in the Pacific time zone of any, any conference uh excluding the WAC playing their conference games um since that stretches into into the mountain time zone and maybe the central time zone I guess the central time zone too but anyway excluding WAC conference games Texas Tech just stole them uh they are now leading UConn anyway uh the I think the only teams from the from the west coast that went east at all uh are are BYU going to Texas And uh, Arizona going to the Frisco tournament. I think everyone else has stayed on the West coast. Now Washington was supposed to go to rice opening weekend. Uh, The weather canceled that, but yeah, it, they're, they're all playing each other in the WC WCC PAC 12 and big West. And with the big West, not looking so hot. I, I don't, I don't think that's going to help anyone's RPI. Now, hopefully everyone can look past that when it comes Time to to create fields if if the Pac-12 or other conferences are deserving, uh, but you know that it, it is. We, we've talked about this before. Less interregional in travel is bad for your RPI, and that doesn't affect anyone as much as it affects what happens out on the West Coast and all these teams beating up on each other. You know, between the WCC and the Big West and the Pac, probably isn't great for each other either uh so we'll we'll see how it shakes out i i think that you know i because yesterday was selection sunday for for basketball my head was a little bit on bracketology we won't come out with our first projected field of 64 until next week but i was i was running through it in my head a little bit and you know i think you can probably get two bids for the big west you can run up maybe five maybe six bids for the pack, but honestly, I don't, I don't think they're going to get that many because, you know, I think one of the teams that we think is okay right now is going to wind up not being as okay as we think they are. Um, and then I, it's hard for the WCC to get two bids. We've seen that year after year. So they're not going to be a ton of bids to to come out of that way, but because the, the pack looks so competitive right now, I, I think that that will help them more than it would uh, a UCLA or an Arizona or an Arizona state, whoever it would be uh, running away with the conference.
1: When you, you mentioned the big, the big West and how saying the big West favorite is, is maybe damning with faint praise to a, a much larger degree than it was 10, certainly 20 years ago. And uh, you know, I just, I, I just looked at it again and, and boy, you're right. Like, you know, I wrote about the Big West a larger piece earlier in the off season, and you, we've talked about it on the podcast a lot. You know, we had Dave on this podcast for a year, and so we we I think naturally talked more Big West than we would otherwise. And so we were we're very kind of in tune to the Big West and the plight of the Big West, if you will. But really, if you if if you just wanted to still it down to a single sentence, it's it's the Big West does not do enough with its non conference games. And I think some people hear that. And they go, well, you know, they're playing a Pac-12, so what do you expect? And, like, well, first of all, Cal Poly just did that. But also, it's not even that. It's just, like, win more of your non-conference games against the WAC and against the West Coast Conference and, you know, the, the teams that, that come West periodically because your weather is good. Like, it, it, nobody's asking you to go out there and beat UCLA every year. It, it's more about just, like, the, the Big West never seems to have the team that other conferences do where it's, like, they never have the version, and I'm not saying whether or not this team is is for real, quote unquote, or not, but the Big West never seems to have the Southern Illinois that runs out to like a 12 and one start, and we go like, well, the record's pretty good, but do we know how good they are just yet? They never seem to have that team, and like, I get that there's not quite the diversity of opponents as Southern Illinois gets, so like there is something to that, but not to the point where you should only have two true above 500 teams four weeks into the season.
0: Yeah, I uh I think that's true. I also think that when I was listing teams that came east, uh Grand Canyon came east to play at Oklahoma State. There's there's another one. But yeah, it's uh the, there's just there's not a whole lot of diversity in terms of opponents out there. And uh right right now that makes for a, a, a pretty muddled situation when you're looking at any of the West Coast uh conferences right now. So Something to watch. I'm I'm excited for this weekend's Pac-12 slate, though. We we got a couple good ones with the Arizona State going to Oregon and Arizona headed to UCLA. I think we'll find out a little bit more uh, this weekend. So looking forward to that, and we will we'll get into all of that more on Thursday. All right, Joe. I uh, mentioned that Oregon is ranked. I think I mentioned that Oregon is now ranked. They're they're the highest Pac-12 team at number 16. Also ranked this this week are Pitt at number 19. And Notre Dame, that's right, the Oma Irish are number 15 in the country now. And uh, Joe, let's just take a moment to acknowledge that all of these teams have been out of the rankings for quite a long time. Oregon was the most recently ranked. They were they're ranked in 2017. Otherwise, you're, you're dialing it back to 2013 for both Pitt and Notre Dame. I think Pitt has been ranked for like this is now like its third total week in the Baseball America Top Twenty Five in the forty-year history of the rankings. So, uh, quite quite an impressive thing for Pitt, which won a series at Georgia Tech and is now sitting at six and three in the ACC with two big series wins on the road against Notre Dame or against Florida State and against Georgia Tech. Honestly, I think that like. I mean, I can definitely find teams that I'm more surprised by, I'm sure. But, you know, in terms of power conference teams right now, like what, what Pitt is doing, that, that, that's got to be the, the surprise of the year, right?
1: I would I would agree. Just because with Notre Dame, as much as it's a bit on this show that like you were really into Notre Dame and I was a little cooler on, that was true. But also I would not, I, I'm not totally shocked by what Notre Dame is doing because they looked really good last year. And, you know, Link Jarrett's a long track record of success as a head coach. And we knew that Notre Dame was talented. Pitt, though, um, I just had no expectation of what this was going to be. Like, I, I'll be honest. I You know, I thought it was going to be that team that, you know, um, that wasn't of the ACC teams that wasn't going to be in, in the postseason race. It was going to be a team that um, I thought they were better, but I just didn't know what that was going to amount to. So the idea that they've, you know, gone out now and won, two tough road series still haven't played a home game, you know, it, it at all much less an ACC play and won't until two weekends from now. Um, but yeah, I, th- that's the team that really stands out to me. And I watched a decent amount of that Georgia tech series and yeah, like Georgia tech did spit up on itself a little bit like that. that Georgia tech continues to be a team that just refuses to make it easy on itself. In a lot of ways, the defense was at, at times just awful over the weekend for Georgia tech, but Pitt has to take advantage of that and like you don't score 18 runs in one game and 11 in another just based on errors and taking advantage of other teams miscues like you're swinging the bat pretty well and, and going up there with a lot of confidence and they got just enough pitching to get it to get it done so they they deserve a lot of a lot of credit for that <laughs> you said 2013 last year for for Pitt and for Notre Dame 2013 was heady times because wasn't that also the last time until this year that Virginia Tech was in the rankings Sounds right. Yeah, it's heady times, man. I did not think of 2013 as being that kind of – I would have guessed 2015 for for Notre Dame because they weren't a regional that year, but I guess maybe they were just kind of that team that was like always bubble in, never really ranked. So anyway, long story short. But yes, uh, Pitt, biggest surprise for me. Notre Dame, less of a surprise, although I have been impressed with the way Notre Dame has just kind of rolled through, especially last weekend against Virginia, who is clearly like really fighting it. So there's that, but Notre Dame just bashed the ball all weekend. And really that series from the outside in, I did, I didn't watch to be honest, a single second of it just had focus elsewhere, but just never really seemed to Virginia never seemed to be in control of any of the games. Like Notre Dame was no. just first pitch to last pitch completely <laughs> in control.
0: <laughs> yeah. And uh, I, I watched a fair amount of it because you know, they are the OMA Irish and yeah, they uh they they played really well. I don't know what's wrong with Virginia. Like I I I can't figure it out. I don't get it. Um, you know, there they're players we thought that were going to have better seasons aren't. Um Chris Newell's fighting it a little bit. Abbott hasn't been quite as locked down at the front of the rotation as Virginia would have liked. McGarry had a bad start this week. Um Nate Savino hasn't been what he has the potential to be in the midweek, which, you know, if he were doing it there, maybe they would make a move in the weekend rotation, but, you know, he hasn't forced their hand. Um, you know, the, the things just aren't quite working for him right now. But Notre Dame was a big part of that this weekend. Notre Dame just played really, really well. Now, Notre Dame is 7-2. They're leading the ACC standings. They have yet to play a home game of any sort. I am bought all the way in on them, obviously. However, there's also a chance that they have played three of the worst teams in the ACC. Now, I think Virginia will figure this out and get better. But Virginia is two and seven in the ACC. Uh, Wake Forest does not look good right now. And, you know, I, I, I... Think I can say that Wake Forest is not going to a regional. Like they are going to be one of the ACC teams that miss. Uh, and then Clemson also does not look good right now. Has yet to win an ACC series as well. So there is a chance that while the ACC is incredibly deep and there are no easy weekends, that Notre Dame has actually just found a nice pocket in its schedule. I will allow for that. That said, I don't. I, I think there's more room for improvement from Notre Dame. Spencer Myers, who was their best hitter last year, is is getting better but hasn't totally found his stride yet. They shuffled the pitching around this weekend. Part of that is because I think guys are getting a little bit healthier. They were down a couple pitchers due to uh, COVID early in the season. Those guys are back now. Um, Joe Sheridan is one of them, and and he pitched really well um, at Virginia in a multi-inning. Effort out of the bullpen. I I think they're still trying to learn it. They don't. They haven't played any midweek games. They haven't played any non-conference games. All of these games have been ACC games, and a lot of them have been close games. So they haven't really had a chance to try some things out. As they get that opportunity and just get some more games under their belt, I think we're going to see. Like I, I think there is a chance that Notre Dame finds maybe not an outright next gear, but that there are some things where they, they can still show improvement on. And frankly, uh, that's a little scary for the rest of the ACC. And, you know, we have Miami and Louisville ranked in the top 10 and, you know, they're, they're the definite, definite like contenders for the conference title and and for Omaha. Uh, but I'm not, I'm not just blowing Notre Dame up to make myself like look right or, or anything. Like I, I legitimately think this is a team that can be with them at the end of the season and that we might see in Nebraska this year. I, I really earnestly believe that. And, you know, we've talked about how good the ACC can be this year. I mean, I, I don't see teams that are too much better than Notre Dame, you know, even if we're talking about Louisville and Miami.
1: You know, I think it's uh, I think it would be fitting if, if Notre Dame ends up, you know, coming close or actually pulling it off and winning an ACC title. Cause when I think of the Atlantic coast, like, I 100% <laughs> think of Northwest Indiana. But, uh, yeah, no, their stat sheet is kind of weird. Like, because I forget that they, they've they only played the three weekends and they've only played ACC games. So, like, you look at their pitching stat sheet, it's like there should be more innings here. Like, the numbers don't look right. Like, John Michael Bertrand is the one guy who's thrown more than 10 innings. It's just kind of a weird, weird-looking weird stat sheet. But I mean, there's just... also
0: something to how they set the staff up. There's a lot of piggybacking happening. There's there's right. a lot of three-inning outings.
1: For sure. Yeah, so it's just a kind of strange little statue there. The good, I mean, the thing about the seven and two start beyond just on its face, like, okay, yes, it means they're winning games is that like at this point, I think Notre Dame probably has its sights set higher and maybe they had them set pretty high to begin the season, but at seven and two, like obviously you can't just kind of coast it in, but you know, they've got enough of a cushion here where, I mean, I don't want to get ahead of myself here, but just as talking, getting back into the postseason, which would be an achievement for Notre Dame and they haven't been since 2015 Like they don't really have to do anything superhuman here on out. Here's
0: the, here's the thing. I I thought about this a lot for Pitt. It's true for Notre Dame too, but I, I thought about this a lot for Pitt. Pitt has nine more. And so does Notre Dame. They have nine more series. You've got six wins already. If you're Pitt, just don't get swept. Don't get swept the rest of the season, play all your games because you know, 2021, we can't take anything for granted, but play all your weekends. Don't get swept. That's 15 wins. Now, because the ACC expanded and they're playing 36 games, is 15 ACC wins, which forever would have gotten you into the tournament. Is that going to be enough? 15 and 21? Probably not. So Pitt's going to have to win a couple more series. But I got to say, I think 17 and 19 would be enough. Um, you know, I, I think I think that's going to do it. And they, I mean, it, all you have to do is not get swept on the road when you're series at home, if you're pit and you're in, and that's a bit of an ask maybe still, but at the same time, maybe it's not. They've got, they've got the, these six road wins against good ACC teams already. And, you know, again, the same thing is true for Notre Dame. Just don't get swept. That's 16. You're probably going to get in at 16 and 20 in the ACC. I, I would, I would find it hard to believe that 16, 17 ACC wins, even though you'll be under 500 in the league, that that's not going to get it done. I mean, that's that's a lot of wins against really good teams. So I, it's kind of crazy how well those two teams have already set themselves up. And, you know, furthermore, we know that winning on the road matters a lot. And, and again, in both cases, they have six or seven
1: road wins already. Yeah, it's a good point. I mean, they, their quality of play might just go up just – by virtue of the fact they're going to start playing home games. And we understand that playing home games is preferable. So, you know, um, but yeah, that, that, that's, a, I mean, that's, that's exactly it. These teams don't are, have put themselves in position where if they just basically don't fall over themselves from here on out, get swept, stuff like that. Like they're, they're going to be in a good position uh, to make the postseason, season and certainly in Pitt's case and a little less so in Notre Dame's case, obviously, I, I didn't know that's where we were going to end up, but I think that's exactly where we're going to end up absolutely uh okay so
0: let's uh let's stay midwestern talking about pitt and notre dame here the we're two weeks into the big 10 season joe michigan is uh is seven and one indiana they're also seven and one those are the two best teams we thought they were the two best teams coming in They they have they have done exactly what we thought they were, should be doing um they really took care of business this weekend. Indiana against Penn State uh, and uh, Michigan against Purdue. And now I don't think Purdue and Penn State are particularly good, but still good on Michigan and Indiana for doing what they need to do. You you've paid probably a bit more attention to the Big Ten than I have, just by virtue of you know watching Big Ten baseball in person last weekend. Uh, what where are you where are you at right now in the conference, and is is anyone like? looking like they're going to play with the, the Wolverines and the Hoosiers.
1: You know, it's a real snap judgment here, but I think those are the two best teams. And I, I think with what they've shown so far, I think it might be pretty clear. Now the, the one caveat I, I would give you here and the one other example I would give you, and maybe it's just recency bias. Cause I, for, for something that is forthcoming, I spent the morning talking to Ohio state coaches But, you know, they still don't feel like their pitching staff has come anywhere close to living up to its potential, and the potential is uh, massive for that pitching staff. So Ohio State is a little bit of a a wild card for me there in terms of the Big Ten. But what I will say is, you know, I I told you this last night, that my thing with the Big Ten is it kind of does feel like, based on the results that we saw this past weekend, coming off of what we saw the first weekend, is starting to set the conference up for it being – a little bit of a worst case scenario for what the coaches were kind of grumbling about a little bit going into the season, which is, Oh, we're just going to beat each other up. And every conference in America says that. And in some cases it's true. And in some cases it's really not. And they're just kind of paying lip service to be respectful to their, their colleagues. Right. But in the big 10, I I think it is setting up to where that is going to be the case. Maryland just stumbled out of the gate a little bit, you know, Illinois is, uh, was better against Minnesota. um, But, you know, they went two and two, I'm sorry, one and three out of the gate. So they've kind of stumbled, you know, Iowa um, has just been kind of okay out of the gate. And so teams are kind of trading, you know, and some of the darlings of opening weekend, like Michigan state, um, you know, maybe played a little bit over its head opening weekend and then came back to earth the second weekend. Same thing with, with, you know, Rutgers is off to a a fairly good start, but you know, they seem much better at the front end of the weekends versus the back end. and, And maybe that speaks to the Steve Owens and his staff still building some, some depth there but Michigan and Indiana really so far in terms of results have set themselves apart. And I think Indiana, what they showed us last weekend, I think was huge because it's not just that they, they won those games, but um, they, you know, the offense has been um, just kind of okay, but it's like, you know, in a big moment, they get a big hit from Grant Richardson to walk it off. And it's like, okay, that Grant Richardson is your guy. Uh, His numbers haven't been what he hoped they would be probably to this point of the season, but that's your guy in that moment that you want to come through. And then, on the mound, I think everyone by now has seen what McKay Brown did. And Indiana in recent years, and, and really going back to um, to when Chris Limonis was there, it was not really a team that typically had big arms. Uh, they had a lot of pitchability guys who were very, very good. I'm thinking of guys like, you know, Pauly Milto, for example, and Andrew Solfrank, whose stuff was a little better but wasn't elite. And even they've got some guys that are still kind of held over. Tommy Summer is a very good pitcher whose stuff is not going to blow anybody away. McCade Brown's something different. And, you know, Indiana, it seems like one of the issues they've had is they're, they're very good and very consistent and they get into regionals. And then when it comes right down to it, they just always haven't always had the type of arms that you want to have in a postseason setting where you need to come out and get seven from your guy on Friday, seven shutdown from your guy on Friday to set you up for the rest of the weekend. And if McCade Brown continues to be the version of himself that we've seen through two weeks, they've got that guy and that's, that's just a game having him like that is just a complete game changer. And I think that changed a little bit of how I think about Indiana where I still kind of thought they were that kind of team, but he gives them a little bit of a different, a little bit of a different, um, look. And then Michigan has just been kind of exactly what we thought and and hoped they would be. Um, you know, pitching has been pretty good. Bullpen has been actually really good. Um, the starters have been a little more inconsistent, but still pretty solid. So, um, and then doing enough offensively. I think the offense still doesn't really have a star maybe, but they're getting a lot from a lot of different guys. And I think that really bodes well for their, um, for their ability to replicate that as as the season goes on. So I look at Michigan and Indiana as, as the two clear best teams so far with Ohio state having a little bit of an asterisk behind it saying that they haven't really put it all together yet, but this team is talented enough to really go on a run if they can put it all together
0: i uh i'm fully capable of getting really angry at the big 10 over its scheduling decisions uh so I, I feel like i need to give them props here they have you know they're they're goofy things with the big 10 schedule right there are these four game weekends the, the four uh you know pod you know two two games against two teams each for for the weekend well Thank you, whoever set this up, that Michigan plays a three-game series against Ohio State and a three-game series against Indiana. That series against Indiana is in the middle of May. That one is going to be really significant. We're really looking forward to that. And Indiana also just plays three against Ohio State, although I guess they, they play a traditional three-game, and then they play two more against uh, Ohio State late in the season, um, actually last weekend with uh, in, a, in a set with Nebraska. But... Thank you for a line in your schedule so that those two traditional series can, can just be played as such, because I'm, I'm looking forward to that. I think that you're right, Joe, that this conference is, uh, is gonna be very muddled all season. It often is like that. It's going to be worse this year in, in terms of that. Uh, I think that Michigan and Indiana are the two best teams are going to be the two best teams are going to get to the ncaa tournament people a lot of times when i go on radio right now we're asking me well, what's the big ten what's going to be the impact of this decision in terms of their their ncaa tournament bids like okay they're not getting five in that was that was true probably just from the moment that they made this decision just given how the first two weekends have gone i don't know the four is happening either i, I think that those two go uh, and then a third goes, whether that's Ohio State, whether it's Nebraska or Maryland or Rutgers or whoever, Illinois, uh, you know, whatever. I, they're going to probably get those those three teams, and that's probably going to be it. And, you know, that's not what this is all about. That's not what the Big Ten is most concerned about, clearly. But uh, I, I do think that that's, that's where we're headed. But along the way, I hope we get a great race between indiana and michigan for the conference title and if a third team wants to join that group like i'm here for that too but i I would just be happy with a a great two horse race between two teams that look like they are uh, the the best in the conference all right that's going to do it for us today on the baseball america college podcast we covered a lot of ground i feel like uh, on uh, what turned out to be a pretty interesting weekend around college baseball, and if you're upset that we didn't talk more about the SEC, well, we'll have plenty of that uh, to come. As this weekend is uh, really like we've, we've talked about a lot about the ACC over the first few weeks because they did us the solid of starting conference play early. Well, now the rest of the major conferences. Uh, are, are here to, to catch up. We've already got Big Ten action and, and now we're going to get Big 12, Pac-12 and SEC play starting this coming weekend. So Joe and I will be back here on Thursday to preview all of that. You can find the podcast uh, in in your favorite podcasting app, be that Apple podcast, Stitcher, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts, you can find it. Subscribe, rate, review if you can. We really appreciate it. Uh, you can find us on Twitter. I'm at Ted Cahill. Joe is at Joe Healy, B-A. And we have plenty of content over at BaseballAmerica.com. And we'll have more throughout the week. Joe, you heard teasing uh, about you know his uh, upcoming Arizona State stuff. And, and there will be plenty more to read over on the website. So you can check that out, again, at BaseballAmerica.com. Thank you to everyone for listening today. For Joe, I'm Teddy. We'll see you next time here on the Baseball America College Podcast. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun...